The Free to Be Show is sponsored by Replenish Me Membership. Show up powerfully. This hybrid online community offers monthly webinars, meetups, and coaching sessions so that you have access to Replenish online. Whether you are seeking something as an individual to relieve your stress or as an organization, a way to resolve team issues and recharge your staff, Replenish Me membership offers it all. Empower yourself today. To find out more about Replenish Me membership, go to bit.ly Replenish Me membership. And now for the free to be show. Hello and welcome to the free to be show. I'm so excited today to introduce you to yet another guest who has a story of something that she had to free herself from. And, um, and now she's used that experience to help the world. She has over 15 years of human capital management. She's quite passionate about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And she's the founder of the Global Diversity and Inclusion Strategic Planning, LLC. She's also a co-author of The Humans Behind the Resources. It's my pleasure this evening to introduce you to Zakia Mabry, who I met last year at SpeakerCon. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Absolute pleasure. So I'm, I'm so excited to have you here. I've, I know that you also have your own show, which goes live on LinkedIn every week, right? Correct. Um, very nice. So when, when did you start that show? I started in the fall of 2018, and it's called Game Changer Chat. And yes, it's on LinkedIn Live. However, it also broadcasts on other social media platforms to include um, Facebook and also on YouTube under the Zakia Mabry. Okay, great. So share with us your story. Um, coming from an HR background and, you know, with a heavy emph uh, emphasis on diversity and inclusion, tell me, you know, like, what is the story that you struggled with during your career? My story is a bit complex. I like to say that I am a triple threat, meaning a lot of you, have you heard of the term intersectionality? Well, I will consider myself a triple threat because I'm a black woman, I have multiple disabilities, and because of that, I have been perceived as a triple threat to many. Um, so in the workplace and even in academia, when I was pursuing my educational goals, I didn't know was I being treated differently because I was a woman, because I was of color, or was it because of my disabilities? Um, let me just tell you a little bit of background of maybe why um, I had some of these insecurities. When I was in high school, when I was beginning to decide on what was my next move, when most kids are planning their moves to go to college, um, I had a high school teacher tell me that because of my learning disability and I was in special education and I had an IEP, individual 
education plan that he did not believe that I was college material. Wow. Yeah. So that was extremely hurtful. I went home, talked to my parents about it, who were wonderful advocates for me. And they went to the school, talked to the school, talked to the guidance counselor. And um, recently my, I learned my mom said the guidance counselor echoed his sentiments. Past that, I ended up going to college, HBCU, Virginia State. And I, I, I endured many challenges along the way, but I, I did eventually obtain my bachelor's degree. And with that, um, I still wasn't very secure in who I was and definitely was not secure in disclosing my disability to other people. And it wasn't until I became a part of this organization called USBLN, US Business Leadership Network, where I was around other successful adults and students that had a variety of disabilities and some were able-bodied that I learned to use my authentic voice and be proud to operate in my capacity and say that I'm Zakia Mabry and I have a disability. But I still had a lot of stumbling blocks along the way. And then that's when I began to further my ed educational goals and, and, and attend um, graduate school. So to answer your question, I, I went through a path of life, my journey. This is my journey. And even though as you read my bio in the beginning, I've always worked in at the headquarters level. I've always worked in HR and EEL. And it's kind of, um, kind of funny, but not funny, that I still experience um, discrimination, microaggressions, even in working in this career field. And so that is one of my why you hear a lot of speakers talk about what is your why especially in leadership and development and so my why is to give people the inspiration and the tools that no matter what doors have been closed how many people have told you no that you still can do it because i am a living testimony to that you are indeed you know, what I hear in your story is just remarkable in so many ways because we think that we're sending our children to school and, you know, they've, they have all these guidelines, right? We have the individual educational program, which is supposed to elevate, you know, children so that they'll come out on top. But the, the system or the administrators themselves don't actually believe in it, you know, or in the children. That's that's just, wow. That is so true, Cordelia, in so many ways. Um, about the educators not believing. Even in high school, I did have one teacher, Ms. Cuffey, who I still stay in contact with. When I was um, elected to be in a documentary, when I was in graduate school, Ms. Cuffey was in the documentary and she's always been a blessing in my life. The one of the people who said, Zakia, you can do this. Zakia, she challenged me. And you know, you need those people who can hold you accountable because they believe in you and they know that 
they see what you're capable of. Let's put it that way. Um, but there are so many who just think that your child's acting up or your child is just a statistic. And I say that because I've been an educator as well. When I first graduated, I was a special education teacher in Alexandria. And I saw being like on the other side of it, it was just astounding about the lack of empathy that some of the educators had and the administrators. <laughs> when there was a behavioral problem with a student in special education, they didn't do the bare, like the simple barrier analysis, drilling down to ask the question as why. And a lot of times the barrier, the reason why is because some of these kids lived in homeless shelters and they didn't have a stable organ, you know, home set. They didn't have food to eat. So they're acting out because they were hungry or because their, their mom or dad just got into an altercation. There was a reason why they were acting out and it, you just needed to ask the question. But some of these, at that time, young teachers that I was working with, they didn't even care about the profession of educating young people. It was, this is the job they got right out of college. So I think that there needs to be a different vetting process um, for educators, because maybe that was some of what I was going through when I was sitting in those very seats that some of my educators because they couldn't find another job. Wow. Like, <laughs> that just hurts my heart so much. You know, you think that a teacher would select special ed because it's something close to her heart or that she wants to, you know, give that small classroom individualized attention to students. But no, it's a paycheck. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's a larger conversation that I know we don't have time for right now because teachers are severely underpaid. And, and, and then look at where we are now with the whole COVID-19. And I know there's a learning curve for some of the educators with the technology about, around um, working remotely and things of that nature. Um, but as far as the educational component, you still need to have the caring part, the empathy part, if you're going to be helping form minds. Absolutely. You know, and, and I think it's interesting that you would go from the education field to HR. I mean, I think in a way they're related. Recently, I was in a L&D or learning and development conference that had a lot of talent acquisition people, HR people. So, you know, those two things are related in a way, what made you go to, to HR out of special ed? I'm just curious. Well, actually, out of the special ed, I, I became a substance abuse counselor um, because my bachelor's in, is in psychology. And so that, that was very short-lived. And I can tell you the reason why is I had too much empathy and I had empathy that became sympathy. And you cannot have sympathy as a practitioner. Because what will happen is you'll begin to take your client's issues home with you. And so that is a line that you should not cross. It's, it's a very dangerous line because then you begin to carry that extra weight home with you. And where I was working at that time, they used to say, if you're still thinking about your clients, when you get to the step, stop sign, you're, you're going too far. And um, actually, there was a client that 
she had a lot of different things that she was going through, mental health, and as far as um, substance abuse. And a uh, um, colleague and I were very concerned about her. Um, she had a weekend pass to go off on her own. And um, she decided that she didn't want to be here amongst the living anymore. And so that was it. I, I, I start looking for other jobs because that position was more than I can handle being an individual with mental health impairments myself, suffering from um, anxiety and uh, depression. And that was the last straw, um, that um, losing a client to suicide. And so that is when I actually um, came into HR. My mom was working for the Department of Defense and she worked in HR and she told me, she had already told me that um, she thought I would be a good fit to work in HR. and been nagging me to apply and um, kind of hated when mom's always right, but she was right. <laughs> and so I applied for um, position and EDO and it, it fit like a glove. And so that was my first um, position. And I took advice from a mentor who told me, Zakia, I believe that you should always work EDO and HR hand in hand because your career would be um, you can go to the roof with that, um, always having both. And so I, I utilized Kimberly's um, wisdom and made sure that I always tackle assignments where I can do both um, equal um, opportunity positions in HR as far as where, whether I was doing labor employee relations, whether I was doing recruitment, just everything so that I can have a very diverse uh, resume as it um, related to uh, human capital management. And that is what I have done um, over my career in almost 20 years, whether it was for the Department of Defense um, and also working for uh, Booz Allen and Deloitte. Wow. Yeah, that does, that seems to make sense that you would, you know, but I, I just want to talk really briefly about, um, again, you bring up a good point about the vetting process for substance abuse um, uh, advocates or advisors, because it's like, you have to have compassion, but it has to be, you know, just like within a certain framework and um, like see them as a human being, but <laughs> not like a friend. Yeah. Well, yeah, also the vetting process. And about that, I've spoken to people about that whole situation. And we brought that up to our supervisor about this one person that we were very concerned with. And there's something called fatigue. You, like nurses get it, doctors get it when you're too close to the problem or you've been working it on an issue for so long. And they advise you like you need to go on vacation because you've been working in this issue too closely. So they thought that my colleague and I, we, Anita and I were just too passionate because we were eager and she's just gotten out the military. You know, I'm, I'm pretty fresh from college and our eyes were just too, we're too gun ho. 
And actually, I just think they had battle fatigue because they had been working in the industry for so long that they did not see the warning signs. Yes, I just had the textbook knowledge. And I, I sincerely just believe that they had battle fatigue and they were not seeing the bright red flags that were flashing. So anyone listening to this podcast, I would just contend that if someone is giving you some warning signs that they think a client or a patient might be displaying signs of harming themselves or if a friend maybe, just it's better to err on the side of caution because what harm would it do just to take that extra step and ask them, are you okay? especially, especially right now when we're dealing with three crises at once. We're dealing with the pandemic, we're dealing with, dealing with the economic crisis, and we're dealing with um, the social unjust, unrest rather. So people are dealing with so much on their plates. People have lost loved ones, friends, and people have been sick themselves. And a lot of people don't know where their next check is coming from. So I just would just urge people to check on one another. I love that. And, and what I'm also seeing as a through thread is that you are, you, it's almost like you've been put in places where you get the benefit of seeing where the system's broken, whether it's education or government, or um, I guess, was that a nonprofit that you worked for with the substance no. abuse? Um, no, actually, it was um, it was Fairfax, Fairfax mental uh, health care. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So you know, uh, so whether it's you know federal or state government it, or yeah. education, um, mm -hmm. you have been kind of like a whistleblower or a witness for the broken system. <laughs> and that's not good. It's not a good it, position to be in. But you know what? It's your gift, Zakia. And that's okay. a good thing. We do need people like you. And, and the benefit is, right? So all these years later, um, just understanding from the um, receiving end and then also from the other side, the administrative side, you know, what it looks like when there are problems in the system. Now you can, you know, teach us to do better and we need your expertise as you said, at a time like this, where people are dealing with, you know, economic crises, social injustice, and, you know, physical, mental, you know, just illness. So um, thank you so much for that. And when we come back, we'll dive more into what you're up to these days. All right. Sounds good. Thank you. Replenish me. When I say that, what comes up for you? And when's the last time that you've done that? And where do you feel that in your body? Well, this is my invitation to you to explore the four steps of my Replenish Me program where women learn how to release, restructure, refresh, and rebirth. Showing up in the world being true to yourself. Only choosing words that honor your values and only allowing behaviors and people in your life who do the same. Connect with me by reaching out at bit.ly forward slash replenish with love. And 
explore, replenish me. And now for tonight's show. All right, so we're back. Um, Zakia, let's talk about uh, what's happening now during COVID. How, how did you come to write this, The Complete Guide to Diversity Inclusion in the Age of COVID-19? That's a very good question. Thank you for asking. I began to write this book because I saw so many things going on after March, and I thought it would be a good idea to have something tangible that practitioners, leaders, managers, employees can actually put their hands on while dealing with the crisis. And this will be good for when people want to have master classes. At the end of each session, at, I'm sorry, at the end of each chapter, there's actually um, lessons where people can actually test their knowledge to see what they've learned and activities to see how they can apply what they just learned. And there are activities where you can do it with your teams so that they can help learn through what is going on. Every time, each month, every time you turn on the news, there's something new that's happening. So the reason why it took so long to come out because I kept updating, updating the, the book because there's so much relevant, relevant content that was coming out. But I believe it's going to be very useful because we were discussing bias, um, stereotypes, what exactly is diversity, how is it applicable, which we're talking about, what is inclusion, what does that look like, what is, um, what is culture. Um, communication how does that play into the overall picture how can leadership get involved what is dis disability inclusion and we're walking you through that and talking about policies and procedures and how that can be applicable here in the united states and it's also going to be applicable for those listening overseas because there are blanks in there so you can put in what are the policies for your region where you're um, reading the book from. That's really good. And I noticed that you were so clever to put first edition. <laughs> because oh, yes. You're like, it's, well, be a second. <laughs> it's like, okay, the book has to come out. Therefore, you know, as things update, we will do that. Um, but I think that's, that's quite clever that you have it uh, set up where it's U.S.-based, but with the openness for global, um, you know, policies. And, and that's really key. So, you know, again, like I said, in September, I was in two summits back-to-back. -back. The second was Amplified DEI, and there were like over 70 speakers um, speaking on that. And I'm just like, you would have been a great speaker in that, but I'm sure that's not going to be the last one. <laughs> oh, yes. That was a great, great, great. The, 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 just the thought process around that um, speaking engagement was wonderful. I'm so happy that you were elected to be a part of that. And that is the type of reach that I'm talking about that needs, we need more of that. And kudos for you to be um, elected to be a part of that great um, effort. Thank you. Yeah. And in that case, it was actually based in the Netherlands. So oh, see, yeah, we need more. That's wonderful. Yeah. And the, um, so she's a, a black woman from, from the Netherlands, but she, I want to, how many countries was it? I think mostly European. Um, yeah. I think it was Europe and North America, oh. all the speakers. Yeah. So that, 
I, I love it. Me, myself, when people talk about diversity and inclusion, they just assume like that I, I grew up in the United States and I did not. I grew up in Germany. So did you? I did. And I love Europe. And okay. so I, I love travel, traveling throughout Europe. And I, I, just, I just, I love Europe. <laughs> um, and I, I just really like um, inclusion. And I think part of the conversation I like having about inclusion is because I was taught to just appreciate different cultures and have conversations with people who just don't necessarily look like me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's surprising, right? Because you would think like growing up in Germany <laughs> with its history in World War II that, you know, <laughs> but it's funny because I'm finding like a lot, I know a lot of black people, a lot of Muslims that live in Germany and it's like the greatest place in the world, right? <laughs> it is, and I, I found it, it was a bit of a culture shock coming back to the States. We came back when I was in ninth grade and I was, to, maybe where is because of where we lived, but I felt a little more, I felt people were a little more closed where I was living than when I was in Europe. And I, I know that sounds weird. <laughs> no, I totally experience that. Every time I go overseas, like um, in Asia, it's like everything's cool. Yeah. In London, like everything's oh, yes. cool. Yes. Oh, I right? love London. And like <laughs> France, things are supposed to be bad for Muslims, but it's like I don't have these problems until I hit DC. I mean, right? New York isn't too bad actually either. And to my surprise, I haven't had too many problems in Texas, but I mean, like Washington, D.C., it's almost like the old South, you know, it's, it is the old South. It's mm -hmm. like, <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I totally feel you. Right. I, I can't even imagine like yeah. starting high school here coming from like pretty much an open society. Right. So this is why you're mm -hmm. able to see what nobody else can see. There it is. Yeah, that that's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that makes so much sense. So well, thanks, I'm... mom and dad. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, I want to talk a little bit about the um, the unapologetic me, the intersexuality, sex, race, and disability. So, as a woman, I know we've talked a lot about um, being black and and your disability, but as a woman, what specific things would you say? As a woman, um, the glass ceiling, negotiating my salary when I was um, coming on to a new organization, I know for a fact <laughs> that my salary has been lower than than my counterparts but then again I don't know if that is because of because I'm a woman or is it because I'm a black woman mm. um but working in HR I have seen the offers that have come through um and then again I don't know if it's because of the university that I went to uh opportunities that have been afforded me I remember distinctly giving a, a presentation or facilitating a training and my counterpart was a male and he felt the need after the training that went exceedingly well because there was a line wrapped around with people wanting to engage with me and learn more about the topic because I did not stick to the PowerPoint 
you know, script. Um, like I, my style, if you guys have seen me on Game Changer Chat, just in general, just listening to me now, I'm just go with the flow. And so if someone has a question, I'm going to take their question. I'm going to answer. I'm not, I'm not the type to say, oh, we'll get to, to that in about three sides, five sides. <laughs> Why? You know, they asking the question now. So he was upset that I didn't stick to the slide and then told me at blank organization, we stick to the slide. Mind you, I was senior in um, position, talking to me kind of crazy. So I wasn't really pleased with how he handled that. And so he reported it to our um, team lead. And she just told me that maybe I should try to dim my light a little. Wow. And I don't think that was the appropriate response. Again, he was junior to me in, <laughs> um, in career level. And I think it was more so because he was a, a male that had a problem with it. He wasn't um, white. He was just a man. Yeah, he was just a man because we we're the same uh, race. Okay. And I just don't appreciate those type of situations. Uh, being told when you're going into meetings that you can take a chair against the wall, you know, because we've actually heard the terms having a seat at the table. Literally, you can't have a seat at the table. You have to sit at the perimeter of the wall. What's that about? Who get? I think it should be whoever gets in the room to sit wherever they want to sit. Okay. Yeah. Zakia, a lot of times does <laughs> because I kind of, you know, beat my, to my own drum, maybe to my own detriment. But if I'm in the room and I see a chair is open, I'm going to have a seat. Yeah. And if I feel yeah. like speaking, I'm going to speak. Um, but that is just like where I'm at now in my career. Was I there maybe eight years ago? Absolutely not. But I think that comes with life's experiences. Like they said, comes wisdom. Yeah. And I think right now, I'm, we collectively are at a time where we have attention of those change makers and the people in leadership positions where they can see that microaggressions, microinvalidations, and microinsults, we are going to call people out on it, call them on the carpet in a professional way, because if we don't, we're gonna to continue to let history repeat itself. So I would contend with those listening, you do the same. I just read on Facebook, maybe an hour ago, someone was submitting a proposal and she said, the post read something of, along the lines of the individual asked, do you need me to respell what you need to put on something because a lot of African-Americans can't spell. And there are all these comments about, oh, wow. And my question to the person who posted it, that was a teachable moment. That's a micro insult. I would have stopped right there whether I got the contract or did not and say, can you please tell me exactly what you meant by that? Because that was insulting. And you should and check the person right then because you cannot allow these type of comments to continue to go on, whether she meant harm or did not meant harm. There's something in EEO, we, and, it, and it goes into business context as well, impact versus intent. Her intent might not have been to insult her, obviously, but the impact, how it caused me to feel, how it caused her to feel is another different thing. And I say, I say that to my, um, my sweetheart too. He might not intend to hurt my feelings sometimes, but the impact, what he does sometimes when he does things, that's a totally different thing. And my reality, 
my, my feelings are, is my reality. So we have to start to teach people how to treat you. And if you don't stand up for yourselves, you're going to continue to let people walk all over you, continue to say and do the same things. So in this time right now, we only have a couple days left in 2020. So we need to look at what we're going to do in 2021. And it needs to be our goals, our affirmations to ourselves that we are going to stand up when we see something being done. We lost the late, great John Lewis in 2020. And one of his favorite saying was what? Get in some good trouble. And that is the call to action that I'm going to place on every single one of you. Get in some good trouble, get in some good trouble, get in some good trouble. And, and you know, that, that's a great point. You also made me think of a new word that I learned um, in 2020, which is allyship right? So you, you, you shared two stories where women were not um, being allies for another woman, right? Your right. supervisor back at the office, she, instead of telling you to dim your light, she could have been your ally and said, you know what? You did a great job and you're making the organization look amazing. Um, mm -hmm. And then give you some pointers on how to deal with your junior male person, or maybe even tell that junior male person, look, if you want to move up here. This is the way we do things, right? That was a perfect opening for her to be your ally. And then, yeah. right, just as far as the Facebook post, same thing, right? Um, mm -hmm. Like, let's say someone that was on that thread before you saw the post, right? Um, mm -hmm. Might have not been uh, black. They could have been, you know, white or whatever, but they would be an ally for, look, we don't talk to each other this way right? Mm -hmm. um, if you want to help someone with verbiage on a contract, we don't have to identify that you're not going to know this because you're a certain ethnicity, but we can say, look, you know, I've been really successful in using these words and contracts, you know, at these different organizations, you know what I mean? Just mm -hmm. there, there's a way to, to do that. So again, you know, for the people listening to this podcast, there's I hope you're taking notes. There's so many things, you know, um, opportunities to get in some good trouble and become allies and, and speak up and stand up for justice because we can see, you know, the prevailing lesson in 2020 is about seeing our humanity. And um, if we don't show up in love, we're going to all fall apart. Mm, yes, um, that was so profound. Yeah, 100%. So thank you for being here. Oh my goodness. All right. So we're going to be right back and um, we can, you know, Zakia is going to share with us how we can get in touch with her to work with her directly and get her books and all the things. We'll be right back. Beginning this December, I want to offer you an opportunity to be part of something bigger and to celebrate love again. Replenish and give back. With every copy of my book, Detached Love, I give back to a local nonprofit organization. This book is, it's more than just another book, it's a new approach to life. It allows you to 
replenish, and love and detachment. Get your copy today at bit.ly detached love. So we're back. So Zakia, how can we get in touch with you and work with you directly and all the things? You can um, get in touch with me by going to my website, B, like the letter B, globaldiversity.com, and connect with me on the ground, thezakiamabry.com. And happy holidays, everyone. Thank you. And for those of you who are listening, um, I'm sure you've gained lots of benefit today. Um, I know it was a really short conversation, but super impactful. And um, I hope you were taking notes. And remember, sharing is loving. So share this with somebody else so that they can be informed and they can make 2021 a better year. Thank you so much for listening and good night. Thank you.